It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not actually laughing because uh, obviously that would be wrong. But there is some kind of comedy humour to this disaster that we seem to find ourselves in. I'm not like the others, though, however. I'm not going to go around saying, it's all the fault of the Tories. They don't know what they're doing. This trust is no good. She needs to be kicked out of office. She's only been in 24 days, but already she needs to go. No, that's not for me. Uh, what we're going to do this morning at the Home of Common Sense is, of course, to analyse, uh, to work out what it is that has gone wrong, to work out what it is that we need to do to make it better, uh, and to stop catastrophizing absolutely everything that happens. You know, if you can't get a mortgage, that might be a good thing, because maybe it's not a good time to get a mortgage. Maybe this is not a good time to buy a house. In fact, if you wait six months, you might be able to get the house for about £50,000 cheaper, because there's going to be a correction, and that's what we call it in the financial business, a correction in the housing market. Property prices have been going through the roof for far too long. Maybe they need to be cheaper. Maybe people need to be able to buy a house without having to mortgage their future, without having to sell their children, without having to make sure that they can't do anything else for the next 10 years while they're paying off the interest. Perhaps interest rates going up won't be a bad thing. Perhaps people will learn that they have to live slightly more within their means. Meanwhile, of course, Kwasi Kwarteng uh, and the new Prime Minister Liz Truss are trying busily to assure people that listen to BBC Local Radio. I don't know why they're trying to convince them about anything, really, because people who listen to BBC Local Radio uh, are not worth convincing about anything. Most of them have already got flats and houses. Most of them have already paid off their mortgages. They should be better off talking to us because we give them a proper grilling as opposed to, you know, Martin Brumby in Kent or something. Anyway, that's another story. John Rental's here with us. We're going to get his analysis. He's almost certain to disagree with absolutely everything I say, which is always good. However, what I will say is this. Over the course of the last 24 hours, it hasn't got any worse, has it? I don't think it has. Over the course of the next 24 hours, I don't think it will get any worse either. The panic is over. All of the lefties who are saying that, you know, Liz Truss is a disaster, we probably should have a general election, are wrong. We're not going to have a general election. Kwasi Kwarteng is not going to quit his job. Liz Truss is not going to suddenly fall on her sword. So we are where we are. So we will examine it. We'll talk as well about the state of our prison system uh, after one of Stephen Lawrence's killers was found to have had some kind of a phone in his cell. We're going to find out how that could possibly have happened. We're also going to talk about Sadiq Khan and why he doesn't want a statue of Queen Elizabeth II in Trafalgar Square, which for me is a pretty disgraceful position to uh, adopt. But anyway, more from you as well. 0344 499 1000. What are you hearing? Uh, What are you seeing? What are you doing? What are you being told? If you're trying to buy a house, has it become impossible? If you're trying to sell a house, has it become impossible? We need to know uh, from the ground up precisely what is going on out there in the big wide world. world. The sky is blue. uh, The sun is shining. uh, All is not wrong with the world. Okay, just remember that. This is Talk TV. See, I've already made John Rental laugh, so I know that all is well with the world. John, um, brilliant last, contrarianism. Last uh, time, excellent. last time I saw you, um, we well, it's probably about a week ago. Yeah, we probably it seems, everything has gone absolutely <laughs> wrong since. It seems incredible um, that things can go. I mean, I say to people, sort of jokingly now, well, things can always get worse, and they go, "Really? Do you think?" And they probably could actually, because we have actually, considering what happened on Friday, uh, we had the budget, the mini budget, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, the um, prime minister called it a budget today. Oh, did she? Yeah. Um, it turns out that uh, that that was the wrong kind of budget, um, as far as the markets were concerned. Although yeah. the markets are the markets, and I've been speaking to 
a lot of people, including my own sister, who's a currency trader, um, who's explained an awful lot about how the markets work and how many people make lots and lots of money whenever there's volatility, and they actually quite like it. The the, the pound, I'm not sure what the pound is doing right now. Uh, 108. Is it still at 108? So actually, it's been pretty steady for the last three days. It hasn't really gone down again. The euro, on the other hand, um, has gone below parity with I the dollar. I don't think the pound isn't isn't the problem. The interest no, interest rates. Are no, the, the pound is not the problem. No, I agree with you totally. But at the first at the weekend, the pound was suddenly the problem. Yeah. Everyone was moaning on about how dreadful it was and how nobody's got any confidence in the British economy. Money is <clears throat> literally deserting the country even as we speak. That's all wrong. That's all gone. It's all past. Now the problem is the bonds. Now the problem is the property market. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and your criticism of uh, of, of lefties criticising Liz Truss mm. uh, applies to the markets. Presumably all these lefty uh, bankers with their, they're with not their, with their bonuses are, no. are going to be... Uh, but they're not criticising Liz Truss, are they? <laughs> they're selling everything they can lay their hands yeah, on. Of course they're criticising No, her. they're not, because when bankers sell things, they make money. That's the whole point of the yeah, industry, but they right? Sell th- they sell things because they've got no confidence in no. the government. No, you see, uh, this is where you're gov- wrong. they think the budget was an no, absolute disaster, this is where was. This is where you're wrong. I spoke to... Uh, my sister has worked for many organisations, including Drexel, before they went bust, including Swiss banks, including American merchant yeah, banks, all, all, all of those, socialists, right? Yeah, all socialists, no, no, all, all left, no, but, lefty critics No, but my point is is that they're not being critical of Liz Truss. What they're doing is making an absolute fortune. They're ordering their Ferraris even as we speak because they made so much money over the volatility of the pound yes. and over the volatility of the bond business, right? And that is what they do. Oh, so so they, they don't care about politics. All they care about is making money. And yes. they've been making a fortune. And, and they and they make money by uh, by by deciding that the government has done a terrible job in the no, budget. No, they don't care uh, about the government. Yes, they, they care do. about making they money. Res- they respond to what the government does. Uh, and this government is is has just announced a ton of unsustainable borrowing, uh, and so interest rates have gone up. But how it's is not, it suddenly it's not rocket science. How is it suddenly unsustainable borrowing uh, when it's actually less borrowing than they did to cover furlough and to cover the the, the well, pandemic? That, how they, is they, that how is that any more unsustainable? Well, because they've already borrowed that, and now they're borrowing more right. at a time when interest rates were already going up before the. Uh, before the budget. Well, but, well, interest rates must have gone up because in terms of what the Bank of England has been doing, Bank of England have been woeful. Ever since they got separated from the government by Gordon Brown, they've actually performed worse. Andrew Bailey in February said, we don't know what to do about inflation. We can't control it. It's literally his job. He did, that's not what he said. He did say that. He said we can't control inflation. He said that. Well, of course they can control inflation in the in Well, the apparently end, not. But, but in the short term, uh, no, they can't. And if, you know, if outside events... So what's events, the point of him then? If outside events happen, then uh, then it becomes difficult. Well, I mean, if the bank, let's, in... let's put it to you this way. The Federal Reserve in America put interest rates up, right? Yes. That was, to a large extent, the reason why people deserted the pound and flocked to the dollar. Yes. The Japanese Central Bank then reacted and put their uh, measures into their economy to make sure that they didn't suffer too much. Um, the euro didn't, and therefore they then suffered and went below parity with the dollar. We didn't do anything because we were too slow, and I, therefore we suffered. Well, I'm not. I'm not an expert, but I. I think the government. I'm not an expert, uh, but I, I've been I, talking I, to people who are. I think the bank should have uh, should have acted uh, exactly. more quickly, and I think they should have put interest rates up more. Uh, last week, before yeah. the before the budget, but right. uh, but the budget is is what did all the damage. Uh, all I that, don't agree all with that, that. All that unannounced extra borrowing uh, for extra tax cuts for the rich uh, was a disastrous. Well, political the money decision. that they make from the uh, the forty five percent tax rate is minimal compared to the money we're talking about in terms of what they've loaned out it's already. It's the principle to of the thing they make. Yes, if you're prepared to just make not... tax cuts that are that are paid for by borrowing, it doesn't matter how big they are. Um, so, it's, so it's not about the amount. Especially if you then go on on Sunday television and say I've got more coming. Yeah. Uh, but it's not just the top rate tax cut. He's, he's no. also he hasn't just reversed the national insurance uh, rise. He's he's put national insurance down by another five billion. Yeah. He's put uh, income tax down by 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 These another are five billion. tiny numbers though. Tiny numbers. Well, a billion here and a billion yeah. there, and pretty soon you're talking yeah. real. But you know, you're when you're talking, talking about as, as one US but when, senator, but when you're talking said. about your beloved Labour Party, you know, when Jeremy yeah. Corbyn was uh, supplying information on what he would do, Jeremy Corbyn um, wasn't in government. Let's, let's no, talk right. about the government. No, all right, you know, Look, but this what is, I'm this saying is, ten is that billion pounds no, a year ten, yeah, of ten permanent billion, tax yeah. cuts paid for by borrowing say, that were not that were not announced pre-announced to the market. So you're talking. No wonder the market's No, but hang on, you're talking about ten billion pounds, right? Which is less than a tenth of the budget of the NHS. 
It's nothing. This is not a it's reason not. to run for the hills and panic, right? There's an idea. You've got no, no plan for paying no. it back, and you won't no, let rubbish. the office for budget responsibility no. look at it, right? Um, then Rishi all Sunak that is going to scare them. All right, Rishi Sunak didn't have a plan for paying it back either. He just said he didn't want to cut any taxes. He just assumed that we well, that wanted was a, to pay that's tax. A, that's a plan for paying the it bottom, back. Isn't the bottom it? line on, on on this whole argument is that people don't want to pay loads and loads of well, taxes. Of course in this they country, don't, but they're going to have to in order to balance the No, because the only reason that we're having to pay back all this money is because the government borrowed it. They didn't ask us if we wanted to support people during furlough. That's a they completely didn't. separate question. No, it's Mike. not a separate the question, question. The question is, no. how do you pay for the energy the energy um, help that we're doing now? And how, how Quasi Kwarteng is paying for it is to borrow even more yeah, money the to reason, give tax cuts for the rich. The reason that that we're is in, not convincing. No, but the reason and more and more people are coming around to my way of thinking as you might expect, because the reason we are in this position where we have very little ability to borrow more money yeah. is because we borrowed too much money and the reason we borrowed too much money is all because because of the government. No, well, I Nothing to, agree, to do. I happen to agree with you yeah. about that, but that's, that is completely irrelevant to the decisions that, the, that, that Kwasi Kwarteng and Liz Truss took in their mini-budget last week. OK, now we've got some clips, I believe, of Liz Truss talking this morning on BBC Local Radio. Here's one from BBC Lancashire. Let's see what she says. What does local consent look like, Prime Minister? Well, I, the... The, the energy secretary will be laying out uh, in more detail exactly what that looks like, but it does me mean making sure there is local support for for going ahead. And it, I can it, assure. It sounds you, like you don't know. Assure, and I can assure Mark Menzies. Well, there are there are various detailed issues to be worked through, but I can assure Mark Menzies that I will make sure there is local consent if we are to go ahead in any particular area with fracking. But your local MPs don't want it, all Conservative. In the past, the County Council have said they didn't want it, yet your government overturned it. The science hasn't changed. Why can't you tell us this morning there won't be a return to fracking in Lancashire? Well, I don't, I don't accept the premise of your question. Uh, Why? It's certainly the case at present. Uh, well, because... What I've said is if there is local consent, we will go ahead. We need to explore where there is local consent and where there isn't. And we're still doing that work. Your I don't think we should rule out the whole okay. of Lancashire. You talked about how it's a success in other countries. But in America, they do it in the middle of nowhere. Do you actually know where Preston New Road is, where they have been fracking? Well, I don't, I, I don't think I've been to that site in the past. Shouldn't you? As I've said, we will only go ahead with projects where there is local consent. I'm very, very clear about that. Now, we will make sure that that local consent is in place. Um, have they heard of the, uh, the, the financial crisis at BBC Lancashire? Well, they're asking about fracking and well, whether you've been to Preston New Road. Have well, you been there? Do you know where it is? It, I do well, you? It's a very important local issue. I well, mean, yeah, but to it's be not fair, a... Mike, they did ask a lot of questions about the well. I don't know why we played that as well. One. But that, I mean, that well because it was an it was a very good example of how badly she was asking answering some of those questions. <laughs> well, I the mean, prime minister, I'd say, look, I'm not here defensive to... pauses. I mean, yeah, but she should have just said. She should have just said, "Look, I'm not here to talk about fracking. I'm here to reassure you all that I'm going to sort out the economy." Shouldn't well, she? She couldn't just dismiss fracking like that. But I mean, uh, I mean, that's her. That's her problem. She's got herself into it. She, I mean, this. No, everybody knows that fracking is not going to happen because well, if, it should happen if, if the local consent means anything. There isn't well, going to be local to, consent for it. It's not up anywhere, to BBC so. Lancashire. Let's put it that way. Uh, that bloke should be fired. They should shut it down immediately, uh, and we would all be a lot better off, and we'd have more money as well. In fact, shut the BBC down and give us the money. That would be better john rentals here i'm here uh, we are not dying we are not going out of business britain plc is alive and well i think uh, this is talk tv and very long tell your ears to chew on this the home of common sense talk radio nationwide by your side talk radio and talk tv Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. John Rental is here from uh, the Independent, of course, uh, the chief political commentator there. Um, 
it's not very good timing, this, is it, for the Tories? Because um, uh, after Labour's conference, which went sort of reasonably OK, uh, aside, aside from Rupert Hook sort of trying to uh, derail everybody away from Keir Starmer's speech, it's not a great time uh, to be having a conference to say we're now at the beginning of a new era um, as everything's <laughs> as the, collapsing around As them. the market's going to melt down and people start worrying about their pensions and Yeah, their, the pensions was a big story yesterday, wasn't it? I mean, they said that they intervened in the bond market yesterday to buy back yeah. bonds with money they don't have yeah. um, for bonds that aren't worth anything. Yeah. Um, in order to save the pension funds, but also the pension funds essentially are, printing money. I, yeah, I, I, but I, I see believe. the trouble is they started all this with George Osborne, didn't they? And they've been doing it for such a long time. Why suddenly now is it not possible to continue to do it? Well, because you can't do you can't print money forever. Well, you I mean, can't. But why is now the point at which you can't print it as opposed well, because to two the years from now? Well, because the markets have taken fright and interest rates yeah. have gone up because the government has mishandled the the budget, just as Rishi Sunak well, said said would happen. He said interest rates would go up, inflation would go up, uh, and there'd be a crisis of confidence yeah. in the market. But interest rates is. were always bound to go up because they yes, were so not low. This, not, not this fast. Well, the trouble is... They're not is this that, far. The trouble I mean, is there, there are several know, things every, that I, mean, I remember that economist, Patrick Minford, who, who you know, everyone said, oh, she, he's, he's not really influential on Liz Truss. And yeah. he, was, he, was, he, he got knocked back for predicting that interest rates were going, up to, were going to go up to 7%. Yes. And everybody said, oh, no, that's... Right. that's he, he just, but he, he has he, also he said... But he has also said that we should not be interfering uh, with the exchange rate mechanism. He was right about that the last time that happened, that was a real disaster, right? Um, and and he still believes that Liz Truss is right to do what she's done. So yeah, he saw a fear of his growth. opinion isn't worth. Well, you very say that, but right. he might say the same about yours. You know, well, I'm sure. unfortunately, I like your opinions because <laughs> even though they're always entirely wrong, uh, they're always very entertaining. The point about about Minford is that uh, he says that trickle down economics does work. When they did it during Thatcher's time, it was a different state of of, of play because actually, does he say that? Yeah. Well, no, he did because in the end, most most of that lot refused to. Use the word trickle down. They say it's just a left wing insult, and we've ne- we've never argued for it. Yeah, well, and then and then in the next breath, Liz, Liz Truss says tax cuts for the rich benefit everyone. Yeah, but they do. I mean, the point is, is that they did when when they did it in, in Thatcher's time. But the circumstances, but the circumstances were different because they had stabilised a whole bunch of things in the economy. They had uh, created the big bang opportunities for people to work in the city, which previously didn't exist. Absolutely, and, and by they had giving a budget people surplus. and by giving people the ability to make more money, they actually got more tax revenue into the exchequer no, no, in the long. Run. Well, yes, they did. Well, in the long run, yes, they did. And yes, the, 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 the economy you know as well as yes. I do, John, the five percent to do a tax cuts for the rich. The five percent. It's not a tax cut for the rich. You know, Keir Starmer made a big thing on Sunday morning of saying, you know, if you make a million pounds a year, you're now going to get fifty-five thousand pounds back from the exchequer. What yeah. he didn't say is that you will also still be paying over £400,000 a year in tax. That's an awful lot of tax. And there's no point in pretending... And quite right too. And there's, well, you say that, that. That's another argument. But you might as well say um, to somebody who's on 20000 who will pay hardly any tax at all, that they will still pay less tax under the new regime because they've gone down to 19% instead of 20 The bottom line is is that if you're only earning 20000 a year, of course you're not going to get 20000 back in tax because you don't make that kind of money. But it doesn't make it any less fair. If it doesn't a- mean that the <laughs> people who are giving... Uh, tax cuts to the rich are also giving tax cuts to everyone. You're better at explaining it than uh, than Liz Truss well, was this morning. But if you're explaining, you're losing. Ta- tax cuts for the rich are not the answer right now. It's the absolutely worst time. I mean, you can argue you can argue all that if you like in, mm. in normal good times, and especially if you are running a budget surplus as yeah. Nigel Lawson was yes. in, in Margaret Thatcher's time. The time you cannot argue that is when the country is in an absolute crisis and people facing hardship over the winter. But the the country is in crisis for a variety of reasons. Reasons, most of which are outside of the government's control. Most Absolutely. of which so are they, compared. So the first le- first lesson is don't make it worse. No, that's true, and I and I and I go with that. But an awful lot of what is going on at the moment has been uh, sort of manufactured by the panic in the markets. Like nobody told the banks to stop lending money. The banks decided to stop lending well, money. They stopped lending because, money because it, no, because but, interest rates well, look, have gone yeah, up, no. so they couldn't lend money at the existing. No, but hang on. Look crisis. at look at every single financial crisis that we have had in this country. We've had a few. Almost all of them. Well, I'd say, in fact, all of them without saying almost, have been the fault of the banks. You know, the no, reason that the, the banking crisis happened in 2008 was because the banks had overstretched themselves. They'd got too complicated about uh, offering sort of various different risk assessed, um, you know, packages of investment. Uh, they'd been chopping and slicing and dicing and all of that. NatWest got too big. They took over the Royal Bank of Scotland. They started lending money in America to people who couldn't afford to pay them back if the house prices that went was the down. Real problem. And, and, you know, zero uh, mortgages and all that. 
and that was their fault. We yes. rescued them, which yes, we shouldn't but, have done. But this is this is, this is similar. No, no, this, this is, is similar. The banks are refusing to help people to buy houses, right? Because they don't want to take the risk, because they're not sure what the interest rate should be. Yes, that's their fault. It's no, not but the, the government. But the fault. reason the interest rates have gone up is because Quasi Quarteng did a stupid budget no. last week. No, and, incorrect. And, and I compl- no, but I do agree with you. I think the immediate the immediate panic is is, is going to pass. All right. But I think that I think the, I think, I think it's the already fundamental passed. problem. Yeah, I, I, you're probably right. And the pound is still at one oh eight. Yeah, I'll just check the screen. Yeah. Um, but I think that there is a absolutely fundamental problem that interest rates have gone up by uh, are, are about to go up yes. by much more than they would yes. have, they would but, have you gone know, here's, up. If here's my take. Here's my take on that. Now I'm sorry that people are going to be finding it difficult to pay their mortgages, but I'm afraid if you have a reasonable sort of sense of history, you will know that what we've been living in in the last twenty years has been a false kind of paradise because you know interest rates do go up right and if you want to buy a house it is not a guarantee that you will make money it may well be that you'll lose that house it may well be that interest rates go up to such an extent you can't afford to pay the mortgage now that's a reality it used to be a massive reality for people people have got too used to borrowing cheap money and spending it on things like cars that they shouldn't really be driving because they can't afford them houses that they shouldn't be buying because they can't afford them and suddenly i see this as a correction and possibly an actually good thing for this country because because we'll yes. stop, interest, we'll interest stop rates had sucking, to go back to normal sucking on the teat of property as oh, the answer okay. for everything. Seriously. Well, yeah, yeah, except where's, where's the solution? You know, the government hasn't hasn't got a plan for that at all. I mean, all, all that's happening is chaos in the markets. And, yes, and but chaos in the market up. created inter- by the markets. Yes, but interest rates could have gone back to normal rates. But instead, what, what What's the government the normal has done, interest rate to you? Well, it, I, I don't know what it would have been, but 3 or 4%. Instead, it's going to go up yeah, to, hang on. to 5 But 6, it was 0.25% for so long. Yes, it was for, and t- that for was, too long. And that was so, foolish. So, so would you accept then the Bank of England got that wrong? I think it got the recent timing timing, and, yes. and, and, and I'll take that rise, as a yes. Wrong. But uh, the, the, the whole point about going back to, to, to real interest rates is that that means that now is the worst time to fund tax cuts for the rich by borrowing money. Uh, as a government. I don't think um, that's the that issue. Is... Let's have a listen to what she said to BBC Stoke. This is Liz Truss this morning talking about mortgages. It's also about how we grow the size of the pie so that everyone can benefit. By borrowing more and putting our mortgages up. We need to borrow more this winter for the energy crisis that we're facing. And I we're think that was the right more thing in mortgage. to do. We're that going to is... spend more in mortgage fees under what you've done based on the predictions than we would have saved with energy. I don't think anybody is arguing that we shouldn't have acted on energy. Well... Um, I'm, I'm pretty much. Lo- I'm also lost for words there. She was not helped by the delay on the on the sound. No, uh, I mean, she was. She was. She was hesitating to answer yeah. some of those questions, but yeah. she wasn't hesitating quite as long as it had. But it was uh, awfully. There's painful. another candidate. Shut BBC Stoke down as well. If you're the if you're the government, you know, <laughs> don't get rid of BBC Stoke. BBC Lancashire gone in a, in, a, in, a, in a heartbeat. But it is. I mean, I find this incredible. Really, that, that I said this to you when you came in. Less than three years ago, the Tory party swept to power, had an 80-seat majority, got Brexit done, and now look at it. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to believe, isn't it? It is. It is hard to believe. I mean, it's absolute chaos. Uh, and what is what is I mean, it is hard to believe that they got rid of, of Boris Johnson. Mm. I mean, talking to for to, this, talking to shadow cabinet uh, ministers. I mean, they can't believe their luck. Right. I mean, they don't want to go around looking too smug. But I mean, you know, they they recognise that that Boris Johnson had a, had a particular appeal to a kind of a group of voters that, yeah. that, that, that the Tory party is not going to get back. No. Um, and then once they got rid of him, they could have had Rishi Sunak. Who, who Labour would have found extremely difficult to deal with because he was essentially pursuing centrist, centrist sensible policies. Uh, and instead, the Tory party has just gone off on a, a fairy tale adventure. Amazing. Uh, John Redswell, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, we'll take loads of your calls this morning because lots of you want to talk about this. Um, where do we go from here? Uh, this is Talk TV. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The independent republic of Mike Graham. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are, of course, sitting once again uh, on Thursday, coming towards the end of September, uh, in something of a crisis. We are being told uh, that Britain is no longer worth investing in. We are being told uh, that Britain and the pound are diving and scrummaging away down uh, in a race to the bottom. Well, it's not quite what it seems. Liz Truss has been talking to a lot of local BBC radio stations this morning and not doing a great job uh, at putting up any sort of defence for the policies that they have unveiled uh, for us since last Friday uh, and the mini-budget. Quasi Kwarteng, of course, uh, is saying he's going to hold his nerve. Uh, There's an awful lot of people banging the drum uh, against the Tory party, banging the drum, saying it's all about Brexit, saying that it's all about the failings uh, of an economy which is no longer producing anything. There's lots of enemies out there uh, for the country to deal with, and many of them are homegrown. That is the problem in this country. Most of the media hate the Tory party for some reason. I don't know why, because most of the media make a very, very large amount of money. Uh, People who say they want to pay less in tax are forgotten about. Instead, what we get is people who say they want to pay more money in tax. Well, why? The government wastes most of the money you give them anyway. And here's what many of the normal and ordinary people of this country will say. Lee says this, Mike, I 100% agree with you. People buy what they can't afford. Everywhere you go, you're offered monthly payment plans instead of paying for goods outright. What sounds better, £1,000 or £41.70 over 24 months? Keep adding more payment plans and it gets out of control. I think that's absolutely right. And the problem for an awful lot of people here uh, is that there is no end to the bashing of Britain. And I'm not in the business of defending Liz Truss. I'm not in the business of defending a Tory party uh, that I didn't vote for. But what I will say is that we have to be very careful that we do not talk the markets down. The pound is at 108. It was at 108 on Friday. What's the big deal? OK, people say, oh, but it was at 113. Well, currencies go up and down. Currencies do fluctuate. That's the whole point. Companies and countries hedge against prices going up or down, depending on the fluctuations of the currency. It's part of what they do. People saying to you, oh, petrol prices and oil prices are now going to have to go up massively because the pound is not worth what it was against the dollar. Untrue. Oil companies hedge in currency markets. That's what they use currency traders for. They make sure that if the pound and the dollar has a different relationship this week than it had last week, that they don't lose money. It's what they do. The reason that supermarket prices are going up is, yes, partly due to the fact that fuel prices are going up, delivery prices are going up, but that's not the cause solely. There are people and there are companies and there are manufacturers of food who are just going, yeah, put another 10p on it. Packet of spaghetti, make it 32p instead of 22p. Why? Because they can make more money. Who's made the most money out of the pandemic, would you say, in any financial situation? I'll tell you who. The supermarkets. Every single supermarket made bumper profits because that's the only place people could go and spend their money. Let's talk to Gavin Mortimer, who's an author and writer for The Spectator. Uh, We'll get his view on some international matters as well as what's going on here. Gavin, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Thank you very much for joining us. Just before we move on to what's happening in Europe and what's happening in Italy and what's going on with the, uh, the channel crossings, what do you make of, uh, of, of all of this kind of doom and gloom that's happening in Britain? Because the French markets are not doing particularly well. You know, every single uh, currency is down against the dollar. The euro, for example, has dipped below parity with the dollar. But nobody here in Britain is talking about that. No, they're not. I was watching the French TV news last night at eight o'clock. And, and it's, you know, they're giving an honest, accurate, accurate assessment of the economic and energy crisis. Yeah. But it's not, as you said, it's not doom and gloom, but it's the it's the professional Britain bashes that we have, um, whether it's in the New York Times or more alarmingly within Britain itself. The, the people who still just can't get over Brexit mm. and want to do Britain down every time. And, and frankly, the um, sort of linking to uh, Georgia Maloney, what, what we see with the people bashing Britain are the same people bashing Maloney. It's lazy, superficial groupthink. It really is. Because I saw a front page, actually, from somewhere in the south of France, I'm not quite sure which paper it was, uh, where they're warning of blackouts in that part of the world because, of course, the electricity systems all over Europe are are problematic. Germany, we know, uh, is going to have some blackout problems over the course of the winter. You know, but when you read newspapers and you watch TV in this country, apart from our own good selves, you 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 would think that Britain was somehow isolated as the worst country in the world with the biggest problems bigger than anybody else and it's simply not true no it's not and it's you know when you see the imf getting involved you do wonder 
just what is going on exactly. And yeah. it's, it does seem you know, political and that there are certain people who from the moment that Liz Trust took office want her to fail. And you know, we should be working together to get Britain out of this crisis, yeah. but we're not. No, exactly right. Speaking of what's going on in Italy, um, uh, Ms. Maloney, I see, has already come up against the uh, fascists of YouTube. Uh, you know, they're very keen to call other people fascists. They've taken down her uh, speech, which is all about why she believes the family is very important. I mean, it's a 2019 video. No explanation. Um, but because she's talking about family, faith, patriotism, um, apparently they don't like it. It's appalling. This is a woman who has just been democratically elected the Prime Minister of Italy, and she's now been targeted by Twitter. And, you know, I see, that, again, it's the lazy group thing, Mike, this Italy turns to the right, Italy turns to fascism, mm. Italy turns to common sense. None of these people knocking Maloney are asking the question why she won. And the reason why she won, you just said it there about defending family flag etc but she's also saying we can't go on with this open borders immigration policy you know in, in 2012 10,000 illegal immigrants landed on Italy's shores in mm. 2016 it was 180,000 wow. the number sort of dipped a little bit during the two years of covid this year we've already had 50,000 and it, it just can't go on. Because what it leads to, and we've got a glimpse of this in Leicester, is either social unrest or, as we're seeing in France, uh, a huge um, soaring crime wave. And uh, Maloney is saying, she's not saying we want to just deport all illegal immigrants. What she's saying is we want to set up EU-managed reception centres in North Africa, in Libya, to see who is a genuine asylum seeker and who is an economic migrant because what three countries provide the most uh, migrants across the med like to, to europe it's egypt tunisia and bangladesh mm. i went to see my doctor last week in paris lovely fella he's a tunisian and he was telling me that he's just been back on holiday to tunisia to see his family so clearly tunisia is in such a bad place so what are all these um, economic migrants doing coming from Tunisia to Italy. They, mm. We've got to sort this out. And that what is what Maloney's saying. But she's, some people just refuse to, to listen to that message, to understand the grievances of the Italian people. It really is extraordinary, isn't it? Because we've seen the same thing in Sweden. You know, very much of the uh, uh, the recent election votes were cast as a result uh, of unfettered immigration into the country. Because it's not because they're nasty, horrible right-wingers. It's not because they don't like foreigners or because they don't like people uh, who happen to have different coloured skin from them. They just don't like people taking advantage of a system which apparently is broken and which has been allowing people to come in unstopped for any reason at all and settle in a country which they don't come from. Absolutely. And this week, the city, the French city of Nantes on the Atlantic coast has been in the news. There was a dreadful uh, rape of a woman at the weekend and uh, three Sudanese uh, migrants are helping police with their inquiries, if I can put it like that. And um, Nantes, 10 years ago, Nantes was voted the most attractive place in France to live. Mm. It's now become the Portland of France. It's been taken over by an extreme far left. It had the most welcoming policy to illegal immigrants. But what they did, and this is this is the whole goes to the whole heart of the issue, Mike, is that they welcomed the socialist mayor welcomed thousands of migrants to Nantes, but then just didn't do anything to integrate them mm. and left them in in effect shanty towns. And these people live in wretched conditions, and they turned either to drink or they turn to dealing drugs. And that's why crime right, a police, a police, uh, a union police leader was on the news, the French news this week, saying that 50% of crime in Nantes is now attributable to migrants. Mm. And that's an appalling state. It's it's appalling for the poor migrants who live in these conditions and obviously for the for the people of Nantes, mm. it's a desperate situation. Well, this is it. I mean, the, the freedom of movement that was created effectively by Angela Merkel when she was in charge of Germany, when she said, if you're from Syria, you can come in for free. And of course, guess what happened? Loads of people suddenly found themselves coming from Syria, even though mm. they went, might not have actually come from Syria at all. And, the, and you know, the people even in this country who defend uh, the illegal migrants' right to come here, 
are seemingly blind to actual facts. You know, we've now got facts from the Home Office that 60% of people coming over on the boats are actually Albanians, more than likely to be involved in criminal activity because they could come legally if they wanted to, but they're now choosing to come illegally, more than likely because they've already been deported once. But we're now being told, because of a left-wing sort of lawyer's um, at, uh, uh, you know, activity, that we're not going to send them back. And mm. even now, knowing that they might be criminals coming here, they're still saying, well, they've got every right to come. Well, it's madness. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's the same, just quickly, uh, Mike, it's the same situation in France. I saw that Suella Braverman has met with uh, a French counterpart, Gerald Darmanin, to discuss the situation. Well, Darmanin gave an interview to a French newspaper last month when he made exactly the same complaints that British ministers make, that the appeals process is so long and that during the, during the time it's run its passage, the, the people under investigation have disappeared into thin air. So something needs to be done. It can't go on. And it is going to cause social unrest. And Giorgio Maloney is not a fascist. But if we don't do something soon, then Europe really will find yeah. out what a fascist is because people will emerge. Well, well, the only vaguely um, fascist-sounding person in Europe over this entire week has been uh, Ursula von der Leyen, who basically said that she would not uh, welcome Maloney as a leader in the European Union and more or less said if she did anything that was untoward, that we have mechanisms and tools to stop that from happening. Yeah, well, the EU is becoming increasingly worried, Mike. Mm. You've had Sweden, Italy, uh, Poland, uh, Hungary, Hungary, obviously. Yeah. France, don't forget, uh, 89 of Marine Le Pen's MPs are in the National Assembly. They have a second single biggest party after Macron's Renaissance. So, you know, why, why is this happening? This is happening, as I wrote in The Spectator this week, because the mass immigration problem has not been addressed. In seven years, it's not been addressed. And until they address it, Europe is going to turn more and more right. Yes, I think that's inevitable. Gavin, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Gavin Mortimer, author and writer for The Spectator there, talking a great deal of sense uh, about the new leader of Italy. Uh, it is, of course, Georgia uh, Maloney, who's already been taken down from uh, YouTube because of a speech she made in 2019, talking about how important it was for family, how important it is to be patriotic, how important it is to be nationalistic. What's wrong with that? This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got the Thursday Club coming up with Helena Nicklin, of course, in the final hour of the show. Uh, we'll also be talking about a great many things, including, of course, how on earth that ghastly killer uh, of Stephen Lawrence managed to get a phone into the prison. There's a development on that story. We'll be finding out why our prisons are so ridiculously lax uh, in terms of their security and what you can get in and what you can have when you are supposedly serving a long sentence for a very violent crime. Uh, I've got this from uh, Norm, uh, who checked on the currency markets just a few moments ago. Apparently the pound is up against all other currencies, including the euro, the New Zealand dollar, uh, the Swiss franc, uh, the Norwegian krona. Um, I think that's right in saying the Japanese yen, even against the dollar, it's at 1.0869. So very nearly up at 1.9. Um, so financial crisis everywhere else but not particularly on this show. Uh, Stephen says, remortgages, I'm due to complete with £65,000 H2B and £260,000 mortgage. And my dad always said that as long as you're working and keep the wolves from the door, everything else is your life. So swallow it and do the best you can. And that's all the reassurance that I need. No question at all, of course, that uh, interest rates will probably be going up again before long. Uh, the fact that they've now gone up to something like six or seven times what they were will be having an effect on people's mortgage payments. And a lot of people will find themselves in a situation where they can't afford the mortgage on their home. And what that tells you uh, is that the property market will then probably go into decline. People will be able to pick up properties for less money. Already there are people whose deals are falling through because banks have stopped lending money altogether. Let's talk to Ed Mead, property expert, to find out uh, what the lie of the land actually is. Ed, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. I mean, I've been saying 
for the last few days, really, that, yes, uh, clearly the biggest problem in all of this so-called financial crisis is the effect it's going to have on property and the effect it's going to have on people who've got mortgages. Um, But I'm also one of those sanguine enough to remember when it wasn't a guarantee that when you bought a property, you made a load of money and left it to your children. You know, I've lost properties in the past. You know, I've been uh, I lived in New York. I bought I bought an apartment in New York in 1989 for $250,000 in 1991. I couldn't sell it for 100,000. It's now worth a million and a half. You know, the properties go up and down. Um, People have been used to low interest rates for a long time. And I think they've been spoiled. I completely agree with you, Mike. I mean, the fact is, uh, we're both old enough to remember when these things uh, have gone up and down. And actually, that note that you had from someone previously, where he said, look, you just swallow it and you get on with it. It's very easy to say that. And and there are 1.3 million people before the end of this year who are going to be coming off their fixed rates for whom this is going to be a real headache. But these the interest rates at half a percent or 0.1% are not normal. The trouble is there's a whole generation of people who've got used to it. And and, and a lot of journalists, dare I say, who are printing headlines saying, you know, the end is nigh and, and this is a disaster. When in fact these interest rates are sort of sort of returning to well they are returning to the rates that where they would have been 10 15 years ago yes now anybody who's been getting a mortgage over the last three or four years since the mortgage market review has been subject to good to to to, to pretty strong stress testing uh where people are supposed to be looking at three percent uh can they pay at three percent rates you know when rates are three percent higher than, than than they're looking to to get I think part of the problem and part of the headlines we're getting at the moment and part of the difficulties people are having is that, of course, if you're looking at remortgaging at around three and a half, four percent, which is where people are now, they're looking to be stress tested for up to seven percent because that's where the, that's where they're told they have to do it. And I think that's part of the reason why a lot of these mortgage companies have been withdrawing their rates just for a couple of days Mm. to try and work out what on earth they were going to do yes i mean let's face it the banks uh, have never really been what i would regard as kind of honest brokers in any of this you know all the way back to when they used to give um self-assessed mortgages away to people and when you know we had the subprime problems and people were being given mortgages in america for houses they could never have afforded you know i remember reading a story about some woman in washington dc was a bus driver um who was given a mortgage on a four hundred thousand dollar house somewhere in sort of fairfax virginia and of course she ended up defaulting on the mortgage and that was the beginning of the end and and you know banks have never quite got it right in my view no um i mean banks are you know the definition is that they're financial institutions and they need to try and remain um solvent so from that perspective they need to keep a, a an eye on what's going on mm. and of course the turmoil in the market is created to be perfectly blunt largely by speculators at the moment as usual the hedge funds piling in to try and watch this is one of these it's not quite a black swan event but it's a big event mm. where the a lot of these hedge funds think they can make a huge amount of money off the back of shorting the dollar and then making making the making it fall and selling it. It's it's just a dog's breakfast. Now that little hump needs to be little hump. Mm. That situation needs to be got over. Um, and in terms of the people who can't afford their mortgages, as I say, we've got to come back to this stress testing thing. I mean, you know, people people are being stress tested when they get their mortgages. So it's not anywhere near as disastrous as people think it is and those of us who've lived through these sort of events before know that they do pass Mm. and carry on but i do think that the 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 speculators need to be beaten back a little bit and it sounds if the dollar's at 109 and we're up against a lot of other currencies as if that battle isn't being won by the speculators at the moment no quite well i think they've moved on now i think they've made the money they were going to make on the currency markets now the 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 worry i suppose is the bond market but nobody really understands that uh outside of the the business of of the people who are are doing it what do you think is going to happen to the average house price though because obviously i mean i've for a long time said that it's about time that we lost some of the value of some of the pr- properties because price of property, certainly in London, is ludicrous now. Well, it is. But I think that the, the, what happened during COVID surprised everybody, not least estate agents and people in the property market. They didn't expect, you know, we were all told that things were going to crash when mm. COVID started and they didn't. They did right. the opposite. So I have a suspicion that some of that froth will come off. But there are certain advantages here, Mike. People forget that the, the majority of people who try and sell their property are doing so because they want to buy a bigger one well if your property is worth 350 grand now and you're only going to be able to sell it at 300 Mm. but the property you were looking to buy was 500 and it's going to cost you 400 who's the winner there so there are a lot of people forget always that actually buying property can be interesting in a in a more sanguine market Mm. 
The problem we have longer term, of course, is the same old thing. It's supply and demand. We're not yeah. building any more houses at the moment. We're not building anywhere near enough. So the situation isn't going to change in the short term. I'm with all the people that say we need to build more houses. I get that. But yeah. as long as this supply and demand situation in is, is happening, I think some of the froth might come off. Yeah. But I can't see much more beyond that happening. Although you say that, but I was driving around sort of not, not far from Hailsham uh, last weekend, and there's quite a lot of house building going on in that part of the southeast. Now, you might say, well, that's not really where it's needed, but, but I mean, probably it won't be r- ridiculously cheap housing either. But my worry more is for whenever I see a little housing development going up, I'm thinking, you know, where are the schools going to be? You know, who's going to be uh, able to drive around the roads here if they've got another sort of six or 700 people living here? You know, there doesn't seem to be any thought process behind building not building where you build you know it all seems to be in the hands of the developers i know because it's all short-term thinking it's yeah. all the political establishment is based on a sort of four or five year cycle where they're going to get re-elected mm. housing should be taken out of the the political uh, arena and and given to a czar or whatever in inverted commas to to you know to take a 20 25 year view and then of course they can start talking to institutions like the NHS. The NHS has an enormous amount of land in the UK which could be built on. But the problem is when you go to the NHS and you say, to a particular trust, and you say, oh, could we build a, a block of flats over there? They go, well, hang on. Yeah, that's fine. But actually, we might need that in 20 years time to build a, a, a hospital, oh. a, an extra wing on. So they won't do deals. So someone needs to put all the pieces together. But the main way you do that yeah. is by taking it out of politics. OK. Final question. If you are looking to sell uh, right now, then uh, would you be better off waiting or would you be better off getting rid of it now? Well, I'm going to put the ball on the other foot a little bit. When you're buying, you want to make sure you can buy for, for and live in something for at least 10 years. So I think from most people's point of view, if they were selling now, I, th- I think to be honest with you, I can't see any reason why you wouldn't sell now. But just do things in the normal way. Mm. People who try and call the market. I bumped into a mate the other day who was saying, I'm going to sell my house now in London because I think prices are going to fall and that I can buy back in at a lower price. Well, that's just a mugs game. Yeah. Just do what you would normally do. And I think if you have an opportunity to accelerate that a little bit now, no reason not to. Okay, Ed Mead, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed, property expert there. Agreeing with me um, that it's not as catastrophic as everybody's telling you. Finally, we're starting to get through the gloom. We're starting to see light at the end of the tunnel. Don't listen to people who tell you it's all going down the gurgler, because it isn't. This is Talk TV. Fast Talk, Street Talk, Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk, Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. See it, hear it, think it. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got another hour to go. Ian Collins will be here uh, following that from one o'clock, of course. Before that, Helen Nicklin's going to be here uh, with the Thursday Club. Coming up in this hour, though, uh, we're going to talk about the state of our prison service, the state of our justice system, because you might have remembered from yesterday uh, there was a story about Stephen Lawrence's killer, uh, who's currently in prison uh, at His Majesty's service, I should now say. David Norris, 46 years old, had somehow got his hands on a mobile our phone and was sending out messages, uh, posting things on WhatsApp, putting things on Facebook, uh, showing himself wearing a pair of sort of aviator sunglasses in a room which looked as though there was an Xbox behind him, uh, in what certainly did not look like anything but luxurious circumstances. A man uh, who has admitted and boasted about killing Stephen Lawrence uh, brutally, uh, an innocent man, uh, an innocent teenager uh, who was left for dead uh, by a group of white youths who decided to take it upon themselves to kill him on account of the fact that he happened to be black. Now, they've raided Norris's cell. Uh, they found uh, the phone, which uh, was apparently secreted somewhere on his person. I don't think you have to be uh, Jacques Cousteau uh, or even any sort of uh, uh, proper de- TV detective uh, to make out uh, Inspector Clouseau, I should have said, uh, to try and work out exactly where he hid the phone. Uh, we're not going to go into that. But let's talk now to former Met Police Chief Superintendent Palm Sandu, because the problem for me about the prison service in this country uh, is that there are too many people running it who seem to think that putting people away is a significant enough punishment. And while they are put away, uh, they should be able to have as many um, luxuries as they want. Palmer, very good afternoon to you. Um, 
Terrible story, this really, because this bloke, David Norris, is clearly a very nasty piece of work. He was boasting about coming out in two years, you know, saying that he was going to be ready to have some fun and telling the ladies to get ready for him and all of this. And, you know, he comes from a sort of gangster family. Um, He's clearly a pretty um, unpleasant individual. But a lot of people worried about how he's able to have an Xbox in his cell, how he's able to get his hands on a phone. I mean, what can you tell us about the way our prisons are run? Good afternoon, Mike. Um, one of the things, that I, just to make it clear, the reason that people are put into prison is to protect the public so that they can be deterred and they can make, be made an example of. Mm. And the third one is to rehabilitate them. Yeah. And I think this story is particularly disgusting because this person has obviously not met any of those three criteria, and yet he's boasting about being released in two, in two years' time. He's still a danger to the public. He's not rehabilitated. And his incarceration hasn't acted as a deterrent to other people because there are young people who will be looking at that thinking he's got, you know, a branded sweatshirt on, he's got his sunglasses on, he's got his gold rings and watches, he's got his Xbox, he's in a nice, warm, cosy cell. Yeah. Is that what prison is supposed to be about? I think it's absolutely disgusting. Yeah. And the fact that he's posting on social media to, you know, to arrange parties to celebrate him coming out in two years' time. It's, it's not acceptable. It really and it isn't. does And it does go back to the fact that at the moment, the prison service is underfunded. People are smuggling in phones, contraband, and whatever else to these awful people who are in there. And that's how he's getting the hold of a phone. Right. And he might be the only one, though, will he? I mean, we're obviously focusing on him because his story came out and he's a fairly notorious figure. Um But, you know, I certainly know for when I was in Scotland at the time, you know, when they outlawed smoking, one of the places where you could still smoke legally was inside a prison. I actually said to a minister one day, so if I get arrested and become belligerent enough because I've been told I can't have a cigarette somewhere, you put me in prison, but where I can have a cigarette. You know, there seems to be no logic about it. And and it does go back to that prison is supposed to be a place of punishment. Your liberty is taken away from you. Not so that, you know, the taxpayer, it costs us about £45,000 a year to keep a prisoner in a cell. They don't have to struggle for dentists, for doctors, appointments or anything. They have every single need tended to. and, And yet they're sitting there in their cells sleeping away their time watching daytime tv yeah. uh, it just doesn't it's not right it isn't right at all no and we do need to look at this not just about this case but right across the board because we have the victims of these burglaries these rapists these these people who have assaulted others who have life sentences who are too afraid to leave their homes who can't afford the xbox who can't afford their heating and yet we've got prisoners who are having almost like a hot a luxury holiday at our expense. Exactly right. I mean, whenever I talk to people inside the system, they say that a lot of the problems stem from the fact, as you said, that there's not enough prison guards, there's not enough wardens uh, walking around. So a lot of the time, these people are locked up for longer than they should be anyway, because they can't really feel safe letting them out. But also, we always seem to have at least once a year some kind of riot in a prison over something or other. And I know that there's a sort of mixed bag isn't there in terms of whether some are run by private security companies and some are run you know by the government and is that wrong as well do you think well what i don't understand is why are they locked up for 22 hours a day because in the prisons you will find people who were plasterers who are decorators who can read and write why are their skills not being used to teach the other prisoners so that when they come out they can contribute to society meaningfully. They can get a job. They can fill out an application form because a lot of people in prisons can't read and write. Mm. So why are they being locked up and allowed to watch TV all day? Why are we not using the services of the prisoners themselves? So, you know, it's not just about money. It's not just about extra prison guards. This is about using the money effectively because it's not cheap keeping them there. That's right. And as far as the way that um, uh, they they should be rehabilitated, should they not be taught something, as you said, or should they not be given an interest? Because, I mean, the two things it seems to me that prison should be for. Yes, I agree that you can rehabilitate some. I don't think you can rehabilitate everyone. I mean, this guy Norris is probably not rehabilitatable. Uh, And we've certainly seen people like the black cab rapist uh, who was convincing all sorts of people on the parole board that he had been rehabilitated, but he clearly wasn't. uh, And he was planning to come out and commit even more horrible crime. But the thing is that um, if you are going to rehabilitate them, surely you also need to make sure that they don't ever want to go back in. So it should be a relatively unpleasant experience, I think. And I heard somebody saying that prisoners were brutalised in prison. Well, this story isn't about brutalisation. 
that you've got people who are in their tower blocks who can't who are fr- too afraid to leave their tower blocks their lifts are broken they haven't got heating right. and we're talking about this guy being brutalized in prison no it doesn't make sense but it does go back to as you quite rightly say teach them skills so that when they come out they don't need to thieve they don't need to rob they don't need to beat people up to get money or whatever they're doing so that they can actually get proper jobs and contribute to society mm-hmm. and that's where the skills come in so that if you've got people who have been locked up who used to be teachers who used to be plasterers painters whatever they were why not teach the others how to fend for themselves yes i think that's absolutely right and as far as the recruitment process for prison guards are they not paying them enough money what's the problem there i i don't think that it's about just about the money it's about the actual staff there aren't enough people at the moment to fill all the vacancies right across the board. And is it an attractive job? Would you want to be dealing with people like David Norris? I wouldn't. Not really. But I mean, I guess, <laughs> I mean, you might as well ask the same question of people who go into the police uh, and you say, you know, do you really want to be putting your life on the line every single day and putting yourself at risk because there are so many scumbags out there? Completely different because policing is a very, very rewarding career because you're dealing with nice people as well. It's not just the baddies. You are dealing with people who are in crisis, who need your help and support, and you come away feeling that great job satisfaction. And I'm sure some prison guards do that as long as they've got the right support and the right um, processes yeah. around them to protect them. But to be dealing with the likes of David Norris, because just remember that a person doesn't get sent to prison on their first offence. They would have done yeah. many, many horrible things to actually end up in prison. So these are the lowest of the low. And that's my opinion. Right. But that is the funny thing as well, because a lot of times I talk to uh, people who uh, sort of work in the justice system and they say that, you know, you're right. People don't go to prison often enough or quickly enough. Quite often they've committed as many as 30 crimes before they finally get incarcerated because there's not enough prisons. There's not enough space in the prison uh, for people to be able to um, actually be sent there. So should we not build more prisons? I don't think we should be building more. I think we should be looking at the ones that we've got and using them more effectively and actually turning people around. And by locking people up for 22 hours a day, allowing them to binge binge watch TV and then getting them back into the system because these people are not being rehabilitated. They think it's like a holiday camp and they'll, they'll be released, they'll go back, they'll be released, they'll go back. And that's where that cycle has to stop. The other thing that people complain about is the gang culture inside of prisons and we know this an awful lot to do with um sort of you know terrorist offenses and people who have been sent in for terrorist offenses and sometimes they get even more radicalized or sometimes they get radicalized when they're inside uh, by by other more kind of fundamentalist people um is that true what can we do about that well this is this again this goes back to the mobile phone networks as well because there are people inside prison that are running gangs outside of prison who can then use the people outside to intimidate families friends and that's how they get control and that's how they get gangs inside prisons and that's how they radicalize people not just religiously but in other ways as well yeah and how would you stop somebody from getting well first of all how would they get a mobile phone into him Um, and how would you stop that well you, you talked about where the phone was found that's the same method of depositing the phone inside a prison right. you know people will carry inside their bodies there will be drone drones that drop phones into prison gardens and mm. one of the interesting things that i noted on this one was that david norris actually works in the gardens so you have drones or you have people throwing stuff over the walls which are then collected by the prisoners so there's various different ways of getting um illegal items into prison and, you know, unless you've got really high tech security systems and funding, that's never going to stop. And the only way you can stop that is by the constant searching, by making it uncomfortable, yeah. by making it difficult for people to keep those items. Well, I remember, um, again, when I was in Scotland, Sockton Prison, just outside of Edinburgh, or just on the outskirts, they used to throw sort of dead pigeons over the fence, which was stuffed full of drugs, because there's an awful lot of drug use in prison as well, isn't there? Yes, there is. And it's exactly the same method of um, getting that stuff in there. Although I've not heard of the dead pigeons. Um, (laughs) Well, they're very resourceful. I mean, if only these people who were so resourceful could turn their resourcefulness into something legal, they might actually be quite good at business or something, you know. And that's where you've got to turn these people around. And if, you know, a lot of people that are in prison cannot read or write, you know, why not teach them basic skills so that when they come out, they can do application forms and they can go and get jobs because there are jobs that are specifically for people who have offended to get them back on that 
on that path. Yeah. So why not help them do that instead of having that cycle of people going in and out of prison all the time? Yeah, I think that's very sound. Uh, Palm Sandu, thank you very much indeed, former Metropolitan Police Chief Superintendent. Let's have a quick call before uh, we speak to Ben Clapworthy coming up next. Phil's in Hertfordshire. Hi, Phil. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Hello. What can I do for you, Phil? Yeah, I'm just basically resounding what you were saying earlier with um, all the doom and gloom that's been painted of our country. Mm. It's not that bad. It's very good. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of sort of bright things to look at. And I think we've got to get out of this mindset. We've been in this mindset for two years, yeah. like previously, obviously, with the COVID. And it's basically become a habit, habitual, that people are thinking negative all the time. And if you think negative, you're going to see the negative. Yes. But we've got to get out of it. And I resound with what you're saying exactly. You know, the pound's rallying now. Yeah. Happy days. Exactly. And I mean, the thing is, if, yeah. the, if, the, if the markets re-correct themselves, if the property market makes it uh, so that houses don't cost as much money, well, good. You know, if interest rates well, go up, that's good for some people. Some people will say, well, I can save some money now because I'll get a decent rate of interest. Well, that's absolutely right. And that's what's always happened, has it, in the past? Yeah. And there's never been a big jumping up and down and throwing your toys out of the pram in the past, has there? No. We've just got on with it, dealt with it, and um, sort of, you know, weathered the storm as such. Absolutely. Um, it's just, so it's great. I mean, there was one other thing as well that you had the um, your call on and um, with the effects of the Ukraine with the food shortages yeah. and things like that. What strikes me, Mike, is why aren't the governments of Europe encouraging farmers to grow? encouraging farmers yeah. to produce more, be more resourceful, instead of saying, you can't farm. Yeah. Because we've, we've seen the um, protests in Netherlands, haven't we, in, in, in That's previous right, yeah. weeks. And Germany, where they were saying, well, you can't do this and you can't do that. Well, you're not making sense, no. because in one hand, you're saying, hey, you know, we've got a food shortage because of this war in Ukraine, mm. but we've got all these resources, but we're not going to let you use them. Yeah. I know, it doesn't make any sense, does it? It's more climate change madness, I'm afraid. Listen, Phil, good call. Thank you very much indeed. Got to run. Uh, we've got Ben Clatworthy coming up. He's going to talk to us about some travel problems coming up this weekend. There's some rail strikes. There is, of course, also a Just Stop Oil demo apparently going on. Uh, they're going to try and shut down Westminster. Brilliant. Great idea. Idiots. This is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Big weekend coming up, of course, because it's the London Marathon, amongst other things. Um, just Stop Oil, uh, those idiots that are always trying to glue themselves to things, are apparently threatening to somehow do six days of uh, demonstrations and, and, and uh, activities which are designed to bring, one, Westminster to a standstill, but also to apparently clog up the justice system, which is already clogged up, so I don't know why they're bothering with that. Um, but apparently they're going to try and get themselves arrested multiple times so that the police won't be able to cope. But part of the problem with that uh, is that the London Marathon does run towards Westminster and I think goes around on the embankment somewhere close to Westminster Bridge. But Ben Clapworthy's here from The Times to tell us all about the rail strikes, which are also occurring, I think one on Monday, uh, Saturday and one on Wednesday of next week. And of course, if you were f uh, threatening to run in the London Marathon, you'd probably be taking a train on the Saturday before the Sunday to come down and prepare yourself for it. So it's not a great weekend if you're running in the marathon. No, absolutely it's not. And these rail strikes are going to be the biggest ones we've seen yet. Mm. Four unions, the RMT, the TSSA, uh, Unite and as left the drivers union are all walking out simultaneously on Saturday uh, just 11% of a normal Saturday service will be able to run what can will operate only between 7.30 and 6.30 but I've just got the map from Network Rail mm. of lines that will be open it's on Twitter now and Really, it's hardly anything. Manchester's cut off entirely. Newcastle's cut off entirely. Uh, you can't get down to Birmingham. These are all places. They're cut off not only from one another, but also from London. Basically, your only hope is if you live in Leeds or a place on the Midlands main line or Peterborough uh, or Bristol and some of the southeast. But otherwise, basically... Very, very little right. is running I wonder if on you could, could you just hold it up for the camera so that people can see uh, what looks like a very, very skeletal uh, service indeed. So um, the purple lines are the only bits that are open. Now, yeah. they are bigger and bolder, so you'll see them. Yes. But around them are hundreds and hundreds of grey lines yeah. 
which are all completely closed. Which is just closed. not running. I mean, I'm also looking at a full football programme. I mean, not even thinking about the other the divisions, but in terms of the Premier League, you've got Arsenal, Tottenham, so that's all right. Bournemouth, Brentford, Crystal Palace, Chelsea, Fulham, Newcastle, Liverpool, Brighton, Southampton, Everton, West Ham, Wolves. So people oh, won't be able to travel on the train no. to go to football either. Make no mistake, these unions know exactly what they're doing. Yes. And the reason that they're picking Saturday is because more and more people can work from home now. Yeah. Therefore... What's the best way to target people? Actually, yes. we know, we've discussed at length, lots of people will love, their employers are forcing them back into the office in their eyes, they will love yeah. a rail strike on a Wednesday yes. and they say, oh, I'll just work just from home today. In, yeah. That's absolutely fine. Saturday, though, football. This weekend, the London Marathon, going to visit people. Mm. It Back in the summer, it was festivals. All these things that have been cancelled over the last couple of years because of the pandemic, people haven't been able yeah. to do. Now they can't get to them because the unions and are And they've also picked them. Saturday, I think I'm right in saying, because the Tory Party conference kicks off in Birmingham. Tory Party Sunday, conference and also... Although uh, some people might say that's a good thing. Uh, that they won't be Probably able to, Liz sorry, Truss. Won't be, able to get, <laughs> won't be able to get there. <laughs> Liz Truss, after her media round this morning, will probably be delighted if she can't get there. Um, the other reason is a lot of engineering work takes yeah. place at the weekend. These strikes include include uh, engineers who are working at Network Rail yeah. and engineering works are planned 12 to 18 at times months in advance. They know that if they can disrupt engineering works, it knocks the whole programme mm. off as well. But what's so, also interesting is that, you know, they will not accept that they need to modernise in these trade unions. They will not accept that their terms and conditions should be changed. And yet they recognise by the virtue of the striking uh, activity that life has changed on the railways. The busiest times on the railways are now the weekends because people go on trips to, to different cities, they go on little mini week breaks away, they go to sport uh, and different other events and people are reusing the, 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 the trains less and less during the week. Absolutely. I mean, I know it's only one person, but my train uh, into London is always busier at the weekend. Every single Saturday and Sunday is far busier than in the weekdays yes yeah. there are slightly fewer services but no you know still the same as it was pre-pandemic at the weekend it was not as busy as it is now yeah and in the weekdays it was packed and it's simply not packed now right. it, it, it there is still a huge you can see the statistics they publish them every week from the dft the weekends are the busiest times on the mm. railway and the unions are targeting them yeah. because they know that and they've said before haven't they that they're going to have a series of strikes all the way up to christmas uh, they will have one next wednesday as well you'd have to assume that on sunday the day after the strike, there won't be much of a service No, either. so everything will start much later. Obviously, Sunday service mm. anyway. Uh, trains will be out of position. Workers won't have signed on to their shifts and uh, trains will be coming out of depots later. So there will be a severely reduced service on Sunday. Now, Liz Truss has uh, pledged that she's going to change the rules. That will include unions being forced mm. to put offers that they are given. Network Rail did put an offer that was deemed acceptable by the TSSA to the point that they said that they were going to ballot their members on it and then withdrew that offer for various reasons. But they say that the government changed the goalposts. I have the the offer in black and white downstairs. It, uh -huh. it, it was p p p given to us, the offer that they were being made. So that's one thing that's going to change. And secondly, she's also pledging to bring in minimum service levels, basically yeah. saying, and one of the big things that, the rail workers say is we were key workers we kept the railways moving during the pandemic and got essential workers round what Liz Truss is going to say is yes you are key workers we're going to class you as essential workers and therefore you will have to but there will have to be a minimum right. service even during strikes. So yeah. it's funny, you can't have it both ways. You really that. can't. And also an awful lot of people during the pandemic who worked for the train companies didn't actually go to work. Yes, they might have been available for work, but many of them um, weren't able to work because they had COVID or decided they might sign themselves off from work because they had COVID. And the train services themselves were pretty limited. I well, this is, this is still one of the big concerns for this coming winter. And we, we're starting to hear again about COVID now. Now, there is... Free, the end of free testing will help this in terms of people who have mild cold-like symptoms yes. last year were doing free tests that the NHS were giving out yeah. and then saying, I can't work, I which can't is, work. That, you know, that's, that's fine. This year, we won't have that. One thing, though, that companies are wondering is suddenly how many people are going to be going to the pharmacy and buying tests when they've got a cold because they yes. know that they can say, say, well, actually, I've got COVID, so I can't work. And 
what impact that may have on the railway. We saw it big time after Christmas last year on the railways and the buses, emergency timetables brought in because of the level, high levels right. of sickness. There was a scurrilous story that I was told on the air by somebody who worked for the railways who said that some of these people were just literally going down um, past the you know the places where you're supposed to go into a restaurant or a bar and just getting the QR code, hoping that one of them would come to them and say, you've been in close contact with somebody who's got COVID, you'll have to take the rest of the week off. While other people were deliberately trying not to scan yes. it so that they weren't told exactly. that they had to isolate at home for 15 exactly. or Weeks or have a long well, so was. another weekend of misery thanks to the unions well done guys uh, Mick Lynch uh, what an absolute nightmare for a lot of people this weekend that's going to be this is Talk TV Talk Radio across the UK online on DAB and on your smart speaker the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.